Um, today, I want to look at the idea of the Israel fulfilled. In other words, what does that mean? Well, I really believe that the issues, the uh, covenants, if you will, the first covenant led to the second covenant. The, the uh, time period of the patriarchs led to the time of the, uh, the Jews, the time of the kingdom of God, which is the church. In other words, there isn't any randomness here. These things all work together. And in fact, the idea is not that Israel has disappeared and was ground to, to bits and gone. It's that it was fulfilled. It was accomplished. Everything that had been promised, all the rewards that went to the righteous Jews was complete, and the punishment was also complete. It has been done. That's my, my belief. Um, and the church is the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. These things are now uh, forever and ever, as the scripture talks about it. And if you'll notice, in both the Old Testament and the New, then when we're talking about the kingdom that Jesus was saying was at hand, we find the, the phraseology of forever and ever, always without end. Other covenants are, do not have that. Even though the word forever might be used after them, these sorts of things have a beginning and an end. The church had a beginning, it will have no end. <clears throat> the Lord's church is a sublime assembly. In other words, what it is came from heaven. And it lives on earth along with, of course, the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, better said. And it fulfills the purpose of God for mankind. That's the kingdom of God. This is the, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate work. It's the goal has been met. Now, when we live these lives, we are traveling that road. But here's some things that I think fit along with that. The church is not the best effort of men to please God. Rather, the church or the assembly is the kingdom of God without end. And that's a place where men and women can live in peace, safety, and in the presence of God himself. And I know that's not the thinking typically of people. You know, we're trying to please God and... <clears throat> If you read the theological books of centuries and centuries, you'd swear that men actually invented the whole concept. I'm pretty sure they believe that because they keep changing it to fit their own understanding. But it's not so. It's not the best efforts of men. And, you know, we may support the work in the Lord's church, but we did not ordain it. We may defend and speak well of the church all of our lives, but we do not sustain it. 
We may love and cherish the Lord's church, but we did not suffer and die for it. But when men ignore the Lord's church, they are like the man who builds his house without any windows and then blames God because he lives in the dark. That's not original with me. But I remember, when I read that, I remember it. That's a tragic thought. But isn't that what we see every day? And it comes from ignoring what God has, has put together for man, all men, because all men are from one man. And you know, if our churches would start proclaiming the great truth of the origins of things, including the faith, but the origins of man and, and make it known to everyone that men are men everywhere at all times, all from one man, regardless of their language, their look, their character, whatever. I think it would disarm most of the problems that we have. We're not all supposed to be the same. If we were, we'd probably just stay home because it'd be way too boring to go out anywhere else. You want to get a, a wake-up call, just go to Walmart. You'll find that what you're thinking about is not really all that important as I get run over by a cart going each way. See, I made a mistake. I stopped to look. Don't ever do that. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Peter makes clear what the body of Christ truly is. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, I'd like to read that to you. But you, which of course is a plural here, are a chosen race or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, in order that you shall proclaim the excellencies of the one having called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now I want to talk about just those things there. A chosen generation. That's the purpose. It was a purpose of God. And of course it was to the Jew first and then the Gentile. In Christ. That both would be one in Christ. That was the great mystery revealed by the apostles and the apostles only to the people of that day. And we keep forgetting it as centuries roll on. But we need to always come back to that and understand. Now, this is a great, it's a, the great purpose of God to be, have a chosen generation. Now let's look at uh, Alex, uh, Isaiah 65, 15. Isaiah 65, 15. There's lots of places that this is uh, talked about. 
within the Old Testament and the New, but it's interesting to find it in the New. And these final chapters of Isaiah are pretty clear. <laughs> We're talking about the 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 falling, the the uh, completion of the age of the Jews, and the birth of the new people, is as it said. And you shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. Now that's that's God speaking to the Jews. And you shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, and the Lord Jehovah will will slay thee, and he will call his servants by another name. That's pretty clear. You see, that's the, the chosen generation. Those are the assembly of Christ, those called and those responding to the gospel message that the apostles left. But was it known? You realize that Isaiah wrote that uh, more than 500 years before, almost 600 years before the apostles were preaching about the other name? It's just, it's just incredible. And there can be no mistaking those passages as meaning something else. <clears throat> the second thing is the royal priesthood. Now we know that the priesthood is a place where people have duties, as David was talking about today. Uh, the issues of being, the duties of being a Christian the duties of having a high priest because God has, has made it so that the new covenant people are all priests unto God with our high priest being his son. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. First Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. I think this rather defines it fairly well. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be lacking in understanding. We're in the wrong place. I, I mean, I think I'm talking about Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Yeah, I wrote it down wrong. In Romans 12, first two verses, Therefore I call on you, brethren and sisters, through the compassion of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your rational and sacred service. And you, to stop conforming yourselves to this age, but to continue being transformed by the renewal of your mind in order for you to be proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The priesthood of 
the children of God, God's priests in, in this kingdom, then and now, serve and worship him continually. So the state we live in should be this state of, of the idea of the priesthood. You know, the church is royal. The priesthood is royal because our God is holy, true, and he's powerful in word, in deed. And how many adjectives do we want to try to use to describe who God is? The Old Testament is, is replete with lists of them. That's how they spoke of God. Not his name, but his attributes. One after another. Because as the day progresses, day after day, you see the attributes of God being displayed. The, the third thing is the idea of the holy nation. Holy nation. Uh, and I think that's kind of the character of, of the priesthood. It's the character of the chosen generation, those called out to Christ. It's the community, if you will, all the different words that we can use that try to make us understand about the family of, of God. And the other thing is about being a holy nation is that this is visible. You know, I grew up in a, in a place and time where uh, everything to do with the church was the invisible power of. You know, everything was the secret. Um, and it was mystical, if you will. But I think a holy nation is going to be visible and can be seen by all if they'll look. Isn't that what you would think for sure that God wants to be seen? Let's look at uh, John 17. One of my favorite, uh, I like to use this whole chapter as, as a lesson series, and I have many times to show people how the grammar in the Bible actually works. It is just, it's got it all uh, with nouns and pronouns. and There's no way to escape it. And um, John 17, 13 through 17, this is Jesus. Uh, I guess we could say he's praying to his God, his Father. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy, may be full in themselves. The uh, they there is referring to the apostles. Verse 14, I have given them my word, and the, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them from the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, even so I send them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they may also, they also may be sanctified in truth. 
Neither for these only do I pray, but for them also that believe on me through their word. You notice the them? We live in the them world. And you know, if we would approach all scripture in, in the method this is so clearly laid out, we'd have a lot less confusion, wouldn't we, when it comes to the things of God. That's, a, that's the holy nation. Jesus is praying to his Father on behalf of the apostles, those who would believe in Christ through those apostles and their word, especially we have their word in our Bible. This is the holy nation, the body of Christ, the family of God, and it is what binds us, if you will. It is, it is what causes us to have fellowship with the apostles of Christ because of what they have preached and taught and have true and lasting fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. Moves us on to the idea of the special people, or maybe better said, a people for God's own possession. Um, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. I want to bring these Old Testament passages in because I think it's incredible that we find the concept here. Now therefore, in verse 5, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession from among all the people, for all the earth is mine. This is God speaking to the Jews under Moses. Verse 6, And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. You remember the verse where it says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I'm starting to believe that. God's people were always meant to be his own possession. And believe me, if you don't think that's where the rub came in, it is. There was a rub there. We are independent sort and unfortunately we pull away from what is true and and righteous many times to go our own way but we should not <clears throat> because to be a possession is a real place and the reason that we have always meant we were always meant to be as possession is because of as I look back and I appreciate now more at an older age the great effort and cost to God to do all the things he's done for his people, his special people, his own possession. He rescued them constantly over and over again. He allowed them to be redeemed through physical things and even redeemed of their sins. And he provided for their needs, etc., etc. And do we have any evidence that any of this has happened? Yes. We read the scriptures, the Old Testament, of course. 
We see the efforts of God towards the people. Many times when they've forgotten completely about him, he's still there trying to cause a scenario that they will come back and see and seek him once again. So those are the four things that we find here the Apostle Peter has written to the Christians that we would continue to remember I just think it's, um, it's excellent. But you are an elect race. The problem with the issue of race here in, in our vernacular is that we think of races as separating people. Uh, and, of course, it, it's not. Um, because there's the one race, the human race. I believe it teaches that in Acts quite well a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All these things being true and clearly seen, what should be the church's attitude towards God and what he has done and towards man? Not only his brethren, but man in general. I see, I see in that scripture a task, a task that is left for the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, and the special people. They have a task. It is so, all of these things are true and, they're, and they are firmly fixed in order that we, his children, should proclaim the excellencies of the one having called us through the gospel, may I add, through the message of God through his son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to be regenerated into a being that our citizenship is in heaven instead of on earth, if you will, and the key there is the phrase, out of darkness into his glorious light. I was thinking about something said today. You know, God is light. You read Revelation. We don't need his son because God is light. You know, if we're looking at it that way. But light represents understanding. It represents God. Darkness represents the man who built a house without windows. That's where you live apart from God. Even if you think you're, see, you're seeing, you're not seeing anything worthwhile. Out of darkness into his glorious light, the task of the people of God is to show that this is a clear message to the church for the work we have to do on behalf of men everywhere. We don't have, you know, particular instructions because uh, God knows that he created us with enough sense to take care of those things all by ourselves. We need to do all the things necessary 
to make it clear that the Lord's people have the answer for the world. You see, uh, my whole life I've seen the world influencing the church and becoming, you know, more and more and more like the secular side with all of the so-called meetings and such and such. And, um, you know, church meetings, I don't want to start into this, but we don't have a board of directors of a congregation. We have only what the Bible has granted us. (laughs) You know, we don't operate the Lord's kingdom here on earth in a way that we operate a store or a lodge or anything else. But all of this is clearly given to us in the scripture. God expects us to do things right and do it for the right reason. So with that, I will conclude today and thank you for your attention. And I hope this is something that you'll remember.